Infirmary Media. In decades, the Matrix and Blade versus Bloodsport and Renegade. Strap on that cap, bust out the power glove. Come fight for what you love. Who coach your popping pins, dropping hand grenades? Van Halen locked in Mortal Kombat with David Gray. Found out ballet in sick. I am made of GNR. Come fight for what you love. Broadcasting from the BioBidet Studios, where water does it better. It's the Adult Audio Retro Game Show where the 80s and 90s do battle because it's your history. We just fight for it. Welcome back to Dueling Decades. Let's take a look at this week's duelers and the decades they will be fighting for as we return to tag team action here on our show. First off, along with myself, Mark James, the hostess who ate all the hostess, he's the other half of the Mamelukes, it's Man Crush. What's up? I'm here. I'm wearing my Losar shirt because I'm coming off of my first defeat ever. It hurts. So I'm wearing this. It doesn't even spell loser right. It's got an A on it and it's faded. But that's me. Let's go. Let's do this. And tonight we will be dueling with July of 1985. And our opponents tonight dueling with July of 1998. I'm Mike Ranger and we are staying dressed on a talk show along with my partner. Oh, yeah. Now, let me tell you something. I'm Jay Sandlin. I'm here on Staying Dress with a Talk on a Talk Show team. And uh, we're going to make that loss record fade. I'm sorry, that win record fade even more than your shirt. Because we've got July 1998 running wild. And if you want to find me, you can find me on Twitter at jsandlin underscore whn or jsandlin.com. My podcast is What Happens Next where you'll never guess what happens next on that show. Unlike tonight, where you know exactly what's going to happen, July 1998 is going to take it. <laughs> I think you were right the first time when you said uh, my lost record was going to fade, but that's all right. <laughs> oh. And as always here on our show, we need somebody to adjudicate all of this awesomeness, so please rise for the right honorable Judge John Cross. Yes, I am Judge John Cross, and this beard makes the decisions for me. Uh, hello, everybody. We want a nice, clean fight tonight, and I will promise not to make all the bad decisions I made last show. <laughs> <laughs> By not drinking? No, I'm drinking. <laughs> oh. <laughs> all right, well, that's good. Cheers. What do you have there? Just a beer tonight. No hard liquor. Um, it's, it's, well, it's, it's cider, but yeah, it's, it's alcohol. <laughs> We're in for a good matchup. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, the following contest will be held under Dueling Decades rules. The judges' coin flip shall decide who picks first out of the five Dueling Decades categories. Movies, television, music, news, and hot products. A judge's ruling will determine who wins each round, allowing the victor to choose the next available category. The first three rounds are worth one point each, with rounds four and five worth two points apiece. And the winning decade shall be decided by the highest overall score after all five rounds. Duelers, wake me up before you go-go, because it's time for more Dueling Decades. Yes, and our coin toss tonight will be the Blu-ray of Andy Sedaris's Savage Beach. Good one. Because if we, if you didn't know already, what we needed in high definition 4K remastering was tits and guns. Yes, 
so who wants to take the front of Savage Beach or who wants to take Savage Beach by the rear? Uh, you guys call it. Jay, you're new. You call it. Oh, I'm going to grab those by the tits, man. <laughs> Jay is going frontal. Let's toss it. Here we go. The toss off. And it's frontal. Jay oh, wins. Yeah, get used to saying that. <laughs> You won't. It's July 98. You don't stand a chance. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Jay, you guys have control of the board. What category is up first? Well, I would I'm going to say movies. Is that all right? It's your call, man. I got uh, movies normally go last, but let's flip it. Let's do it first. Yeah, because we're going to flip it around. All right. All right. Let's talk movies. July 1998, because I've got one that can't be beat just like the Allies in World War II, because I'm talking wartime. I'm talking Steven fucking Spielberg. I'm talking Saving Private Ryan. We've got opening with an Allied invasion of Normandy, June 6 of 1944. You see the... Um, you know, the battle scene in the beginning, which was so realistic, it made actual historians and war veterans, you know, flash back to their times in, in the war. Many of them had to stand outside. And uh, Steven Spielberg, this may be his most violent film, you know, in his wide uh, catalog of filmmaking. And he's on record as saying that the level of violence in the film was such that even if it had received an NC-17 rating, he would have released it uncut anyway because he had a specific vision for the film. He didn't necessarily think it would be a popular film. In fact, he even cast Matt Damon as Private Ryan because he wanted an unknown actor. I thought you were going to say because he wanted to make sure it wasn't a popular film. (laughs) (laughs) Well, unfortunately for him, Damon would win the Oscar for Goodwill Hunting and become a big star before this film was ever released. Um, Also funny to note that Vin Diesel was, uh, you know, while he was still a little known actor, he was only paid a hundred grand for the, uh, the role. And uh, the big scene in the beginning, the Omaha Beach scene, it cost him $11 million to shoot. It had over a thousand extras, many of which were members of the Irish Army Reserve. And many of them were actual amputees. And they were issued prosthetic limbs to simulate soldiers having their limbs blown off. So that's something cool about in the day, movie making back in 98, right? What will we do now? You know, you'd stick some green socks on their hands and you'd CGI that shit. Call it a day. Hey, this most, is, of, most of the movies in 98 probably would have went that way, too. He just didn't because that was like the time where we had all that shitty CGI. Don't like for years, a couple of years there, we had terrible CGI. Hey, that's solid work for amputated actors. I get. Yeah, I suppose. I think you know? that's awesome to do it like Hell that. Yeah. I'm shocked that about that NC-17 thing you were saying, though, because. Yeah, well, as far as I'm concerned, in July of 98 or this 98 era, you know, you have this advanced movie technology coming in. Like, think about how much more advanced things already were than like, you know, the 80s. And here you're they're still trying to achieve some great spectacle through physical effects. But to round out Saving Private Ryan, it was the highest grossing film of 98 in the United States. And it was also the last R-rated film to lead the yearly box office until American Sniper in 2014, which also was a military theme. Um, They didn't have prosthetic limbs. They instead had plastic babies. But that's another story. And the uh, film losing out to Shakespeare in Love for the Best Picture Oscar is often named as one of the greatest movie controversies in the history of the award show. 
And many people in the business contributed the uh, winning, or, or I should say, Saving Private Ryan's losing to Shakespeare in Love to the producer Harvey Weinstein, just really, you know, pushing the envelope and, you know, insisting that the board vote his way while attacking Saving Private Ryan. In July of 1998, who knew that Weinstein was such an asshole, right? People did. <laughs> they definitely did. <laughs> what a cocksucker. All right. What does Mike have? I'm so curious now that I mean you guys like shot your load there. You went for it. Round one. Brother, I'm just getting started. (laughs) We'll see. All right. Well, uh, depending on who you talk to on July first, nineteen ninety eight, it was either Earth's darkest day or man's finest hour. Nothing on Earth could have prepared us for Armageddon. With an all-star cast uh, like Bruce Willis, Ben Affleck, and Billy Bob Thornton, as well as a few more Hollywood notables, on a quest to stop an asteroid the size of Texas from destroying Earth. Uh, the movie was fun and completely ridiculous. With uh, Made on a budget of $140 million and grossing over $550 million worldwide, and also giving us one of the worst Aerosmith songs of all fucking time. <laughs> Side note. I prefer Deep Impact. What? Yeah. Really? I yeah. totally agree. One hundred. I'd, I'd rather watch Deep Impact. I think Armageddon's fun. You watched Armageddon all the way to the end of the credits because you don't want to miss a thing, right? Yeah. Oh. Except for I, I wish I missed the last like twenty minutes. <laughs> and that Aerosmith song. How yes. can it, what about the Steve Buscemi scene? No, there's good moments. Yeah, there, there's it, some really it, fun it, stuff. In you that know, movie. and I'll tell you what, the first time I saw it, I was I liked it too. But yeah, you it, could edit that movie down into like a really enjoyable half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think that goes for like ninety percent of movies. Feels like, or certainly movies made since nineteen ninety eight. Full disclosure, I was eleven years old in July of nineteen ninety eight, and they were playing Don't Miss a Thing at every school dance. Yeah. So I, I associate that song with a lot lot of sweaty palms and puberty <laughs> okay and wow. i still think it's a better aerosmith tune than jaded uh, yeah uh, it's kind of a toss-up yeah that's like not no. a big fan of either it's like you so said much. like mike said it was so played out at the time i don't ever want to hear it again no <laughs> the mama luke's i the one i wanted to ask having just watched stranger things season three all in one go was July 85 picked for that reason? No. Considering Stranger Things. It was actually, uh, like I said before, we, we do these in like 10 uh, episode increments. So we just go back and look at the dates that we haven't done and we fill them in as accordingly. Uh, we try not to put too much effort into it. Well, you've picked one that's right on the zeitgeist right now. Oddly enough, the dates were picked and I just had so much stuff to do. I didn't even look at the dates until after I had watched all of Stranger Things season three. And then the next day I looked at the date and I'm like, you've got to be frigging kidding me. Yeah, you could pick basically every movie that's playing in that theater in Stranger Things season three and would win. Anyway, over to the Mamelukes. All right. I'm, I guess I'll start off this round. Yeah, go ahead, man. All right. July 26, 1985, uh, we get a movie that took in $49 million, $117 million, 2019. Fantastic for a comedy, but you know, I'm positive this made a pretty penny in VHS rentals, too. At the time, it was a huge movie. Follow-up to the original classic that came out in 83. Honestly, for me, I preferred this one better. Um, I don't know if it's because, it, like I said, it was on HBO all the time or the fact that we get to see Beverly D'Angelo's titties. Do you guys know where I'm going with this? Yeah, I do. We had uh, National Lampoon's European Vacation, classic series, classic movie, 
Chevy Chase right in his hot streak. You know, Fletch, Spies Like Us, Three Amigos, pretty much all within a year. I don't know, like shit, to this day, if I'm stuck in traffic with my wife, I immediately look at her and I say, hey, look, kids, Big Ben, <laughs> Parliament. To this day, it's the only reason I still really want to go to Oktoberfest. Yeah, and make out with <laughs> chicks that uh, pop their titties out in a little alleyway to Russ of all people. Love Europe. But no, seriously, like as a kid, it was a movie that was always on TV. Chevy Chase is funny as hell. And it was a movie that my even my whole family would watch. This is the same people that were letting me watch like Friday the 13th when I was seven. We would sit around and watch European Vacation. So you got whole, wholesome family fun, Beverly D'Angelo titties. I mean, what else could you want in the summer of July of 85? National Lampoon's European Vacation. Googling Beverly D'Angelo titties. Yeah, it's a, it's a shower scene. Yeah, they Google a little bit. <laughs> and if you ever find a VHS copy, that scene, I'm sure, will be chewed up to fuck. Yeah. Because people would like slow-mo that. By people, I mean all of us. I gotta say, you, don't you think European was the weakest of the vacation series? No. No. Did no. you say Vegas? Vegas, for sure. See, I actually remember more from Vegas. Maybe I've just seen it more, but I, I don't remember a lot from European vacation. Just people in fountains and dressing in small mammal suits. You were too young, Jay. Yeah, I guess so. Christmas Vacation Part 2, Uncle Eddie's Island is the worst one. That, that, oh, that's that's, that's apocryphal. That's a deep, that's that, a deep that's cut. That's fair. Yeah. Then Vegas Vacation... Then the first vacation, oh. then European, then Christmas. Oh, that's horrible. Now, now we're not including the new wow. Ed Helms film, right? No. Fuck Just no. Just making sure we're all there. <laughs> yeah, I, I deemed that one unwatchable, and I paid I no paid to see remakes. that shit. Is there anybody yeah. besides us, you think, that just does not count reboots? Like, if I'm looking at a series, I don't even look at the reboot ever. Like, Ghostbusters, like, shit like that. It's They don't exist. That's just awful yeah. garbage that they wanted to make a couple coins off of. Now, technically, the new vacation is still in the same timeline and universe. But then again, so was Mission yeah. to Moscow and <laughs> fuck that. Yeah, right. So. Exactly. <laughs> How dare you sully the great Police Academy franchise, which doesn't put a foot wrong until Mission to Moscow. Every other movie is a classic. All right. Well, let's get to my pick. All right, my movie was released July 3rd, 1985, on a budget of $19 million. Opening weekend, a little over $11 million, but the cumulative worldwide gross of this film, over $381 million, not counting the merchandising from this picture. I'm going to quote somebody from a previous episode, our good friend Dino Peppers. Gentlemen, I am not going to insult your intelligence. I am picking Back to the Future. And that's pretty fucking relevant right now. Yeah. If you haven't seen Back to the Future, you have more pressing things to do than be listening to this show right now. So it speaks for itself. Like you said, Back to the Future is all over pop culture. It's in Stranger Things. It's even seeped its way into the world of professional wrestling. So, oh, yeah. You know, I just realized that uh, Kushida, that was his whole thing. I was like, yeah. why does he always come out looking like Back to the Future? And then it, they said it on the air. I was like... What? Yeah, his finishing move forever has been called the hoverboard lock, but just recently I've noticed they've changed the name of it. I don't know if that's for trademark reasons or whatever. But is it just the hover lock now? Yeah, well, I I don't even know what they call it now. It's it's uh, named after some, one of his trainers or mentors. Uh, weak. Yeah. Way to go, WWE. All right, John. 
But yeah, incest fans love it. Uh, anyone who's ever looked uh, back at a young picture of their mom and thought, Phew, I'd do that. Uh, who doesn't love Back to the Future? Uh, in terms of uh, the mashup tonight, July 98 against July 85, while Armageddon and Saving Private Ryan were undoubtedly huge movies in terms of their taking and their importance at the time, uh, I do have to say to myself, how many people in 2019 are putting on either of those movies outside of the ironic, so bad it's good uh, uh, Armageddon and people who maybe didn't catch Saving Private Ryan the first time? I find with a lot of those Spielberg movies that he made post his blockbuster phase, post his like B-movie but as an A-movie kind of phase, uh, a lot of his movies tend to be like very big at the time and then don't stick around. Uh, whereas something like Back to the Future um, just eclipses, I feel like, both those movies. I feel like Back to the Future will be around for decades to come. Um, European Vacation, probably not so much, but it's still part of such a beloved franchise. Um, and Vacation, and especially Christmas Vacation, which plays every single year at Christmas on multiple channels, people will discover European Vacation again and again, uh, even as it kind of outdates itself, because I, I don't know that necessarily Europe or even America is like that anymore. But, however, I have to side with July 1985, just because Back to the Future, still, to this day, more relevant, uh, uh, still watched. It's a classic trilogy. It'll go down... Uh, uh, in history with things like Indiana Jones trilogy and uh, uh, Lethal Weapon and things like that. Things that just will never die. So uh, Back to the Future has it, July 1985. But a great showing from July 1998. And I love the balls coming right out the gate with movies and two such uh, uh, popular movies of the time. So uh, thank you ever so much for that. That was great. All right, Mark. I don't know. What are you thinking? You thinking music here, maybe? Yeah. Why don't we go with some music? All right, sounds good. You want mm, that? Does, actually, I don't think it matters. If I'm remembering what your pick is, go for it. All right. Released July 6, 1985. We have the album Heart. It's the eighth studio album by the band Heart. It was one of the most, if not the most, successful album from the band Heart, producing three smash hits that were in the top 10. What About Love, Never, Nothing at All also had If Looks Could Kill on that as well. It's Hart's only album to top the U.S. Billboard 200 to date, and it was eventually certified quadruple platinum. So, solid release from Hart on July 6, 1985, with the self-titled album Hart, giving us a single What About Love. God, you know how hard it was not to just sing that? I got. I've had it going in my head all day, man. <laughs> I hope it's not stuck there later. That's the only reason I do that sometimes, because that's the worst shit when you have one of those songs stuck in your head. Oh, it's horrible. I don't even know how to get rid of songs like that. It's, it's uh, this. Mine is going to be the same way. I think. Yeah. All right. So July twentieth, nineteen eighty-five. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we get the musical debut album from a guy that already released his debut album in nineteen eighty-two. Are you confused? So the album, it was only certified gold, peaked at uh, number 26 on the Billboard. That said, the uh, the main single from this album, it actually reached number two on the Billboard charts. And it was ranked the seventh overall single in 1985 by Billboard Hot 100. The album featured the production stylings of, is it Aquil Fouget or is it Fudge? It's spelled Fudge. Let's, sure. let's just go Fudge because that's fudge. more fun. All right. Yeah. Aquil Fudge. Uh, sorry if I butchered that, Fouget. 
uh, Stevie Wonder, and of course, Rick James, bitch. The album I speak of <laughs> is Eddie Murphy's How Could It Be? And of course, I'm talking about probably one of the biggest dance hits of the 80s, Party All the Time. Even my 13-year-old knows this song. Jay, you're a little younger than us. Do you know the song that I'm talking about? No, I've still got a heart on from Mark's last entry. Oh. <laughs> but it, it could be looked at, John might say this is like an ironic hit. I don't really think it was because it's your stereotypical like 1980s club song. Lots of beat, lots of cocaine. Obviously, Rick James is in the video with Eddie Murphy. He produced the friggin' song. Uh, it still has 20 million plays on Spotify. Uh, that's in 2019. So, and it's just, you know, for a comedian, this is a huge, serious, quote unquote, serious song. It's not coming out of the gate like an Adam Sandler song or something. This was a real deal thing. I mean, Eddie was the king of this period. He just came off of Beverly Hills Cop, Delirious, and now the dude had a bona fide top 10 hit. Here's the other thing, too, when you think about this song or think about this whole thing with Eddie Murphy. And I thought about this earlier today. In the 80s, who else can you really think of, like, hybrid performer-wise? Especially, like, coming out of comedy. Maybe uh, Steve Martin and him were the only ones to make that jump on both sides, to be successful at both. I mean, nowadays, everybody and their mother is jumping back and forth, singer, you know, actor, actress, back and forth. But back in the 80s, you really didn't have that many. So, like, Eddie Murphy and Steve Martin were kind of, like, ahead of the game there and kind of set that path for everybody else, like it or not. July 20th, 1985. Eddie Murphy, how could it be? All right. Off to you guys. What do you guys got for this round? Go ahead. You want me to go first? I went first last time. You got this. Save us, Mr. Ranger. Save our side. Oh, yeah. All right. So I've got the debut solo album, N-O-R-E, by Queens rapper Noriega. It dropped on July 7th, 1998. And its song, Super Thug, was the anthem for hip-hop fans that summer. The album uh, peaked at number three on the top 20, sold 165,000 copies in its first week, and was certified gold. Uh, Notable tracks are Body in a Trunk, featuring Nas, Band from TV, featuring Cameron, Styles P, Jadakiss, and Big Pun. This song was actually what my friend came out to at his wedding. Nice. So, yeah, that says a lot about me. Wait, he came out at his wedding? How did his wife feel about that? Um, She was a little (laughs) upset. You know, they paid for a cake. Right. Uh, but, Sorry. <laughs> but honestly, man, I, when, when this came out, I, I couldn't go to a party or a club where I didn't hear that song, Super Thug, and people would go fucking ape shit. It was like being in, a, in the middle of a mob, um, a mosh pit when, when that beat would come off. It would just be like, and people would go fucking insane. How'd it go? Do you like that? No, but how's, like, what's the, like, chorus? Uh, it's the one where I, I don't make me do it. <laughs> you know, no. All right. Over to Jay. What do you got for this round, man? All right. You want to talk cultural relativity? You want to talk significance? I'm going to talk about Brandy and Monica. The boy is mine. Now, oh, in July of 1998, the entire month, mind you, as well as the entire months of June and August, Brandy and Monica's The Boy Is Mine was the number one song on the charts. Now, this 1998 duet by the American singers um, Brandy and Monica was released as a single from both singers' second albums, 
uh, from 98. And it was actually inspired by Michael Jackson and Paul McCartney. In 1982, they had sung a duet, The Girl Is Mine. And the lyrics uh, were kind of, you know, tempoed to R&B and they revolve around two women, you know, fighting over a man. Now, aside from being, you know, stolen, a female version of Michael Jackson and Paul McCartney, it was the best selling song of the year in the U.S., selling 2.6 million copies, spending 13 weeks at the top of the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 during the entire summer of 98. Uh, And it became only the second song in the history of the charts to ascend directly to the number one position from a previous position beneath the top 20 at number 23. And who was the first, you may ask? It was the motherfucking Beatles from their 27 to 1 leap for their single Can't Buy Me Love in April of 1964. And if you want to get even more 90s about it, Brandy first performed the song on The Tonight Show, and then it was performed at the 1998 MTV Video Music Awards. Uh, That was in September of 98 later. And the video was really well received. And one thing about the video is it features the uh, the two singers watching the Jerry Springer show on their uh, you know little TVs. Um, so really, what says July 1998? You know the culture better than watching Jerry Springer episodes on your 35 channel TV? I don't know, but it was nominated for two MTV Music Video Awards, including Video of the Year and Best R&B Video. And after 14 years, the singers came back together in 2012 for another single. So I've got it for you. The boy is mine, but don't ask me to sing it. (laughs) That boy is mine. One last thing. I'm sorry. In the 2000s, it was also resurrected as one of the hit singles on Glee, which, you know, Glee was uh, the huge show for the late 2000s early 2010s stop stop i don't think you're actually selling it (laughs) (laughs) yeah you might be losing points here on this one well (laughs) it's it's about significance man significance for 1998 i i have to say that uh not not one of the choices from either of the months (laughs) is is really particularly blowing my skirt up in any in any way at all um you know july i have to say looking at it july 1985 almost fuck all came out like it was a, a pretty uh a uh, quiet month in terms of uh, albums or or singles. Although I would give an honourable mention to uh, St Elmo's Fire soundtrack, just because my good Twitter buddy John Parr wrote "Man in Motion" yeah, uh, for that song. album, which is not only a fantastic song, but also one of my favourite stories. He essentially wrote it for a friend of his uh, who was a quadriplegic in a wheelchair who was doing a charity event. And then when the producers came to him and said, we need a song for St. Elmo's Fire, he retooled two lines in the chorus. That's why the whole thing is about, like, all I need is a pair of wheels yeah. and I'm a man in motion. It has fuck all to do with the movie at all. He just retooled two. I mean, it, it's the most, you know, shallow retooling of a song since Elton John retooling Candle in the Wind for oh, Princess God, Diana. So, um, yeah, that, that does make me laugh. But outside of that, I mean, really not a lot, uh, the, in, in my, in my personal music taste. Um, and in terms of 1998, July, tons of stuff came out, but again, 
Um, not a lot that I would race to uh, listen to or buy today. Um, the only album that came out in July of 98 that piques my interest in any way at all was Phantom Power by the Canadian band The Tragically Hit, one of my favorites. So it's difficult for me, um, especially as uh, uh, no one in July of 1998 picked probably the greatest album of that month, Picnic of Love by Anal Cunt. Who doesn't yes. love that album? Uh, <laughs> I believe that's the one that has Van Full of Retards on it. <laughs> that was the song I came out to at my wedding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where I kicked her down the stairs because she was pregnant is another hit of theirs. That does not have... It has... Uh, Picnic of Love has I Respect Your Feelings as a Woman and a Human, uh, Saving Ourselves for Marriage, uh, I'm Not That Kind of Boy, um, I'd love to have your daughter's hand in marriage. My woman, my lover, my friend. It's all very... Oh, that, that's you know, a clean album. It's anal cunt. It's all very... Uh, oh, that must be their children's album. Yeah, that's it a, is. Those yeah, are yeah, all yeah. ironic titles is what that is. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, unless, of course, their uh, band name is pronounced in the uh, French way, you know, anal cunt. <laughs> like, maybe it's more flowy. Anal cunt, maybe it's German. Who knows? Um, but yeah, so I don't... Uh, the, uh, I'll tell you what, I want to go for July 1985 just because it's the, uh, they're the only two songs I've actually heard. Heart, Heart, I obviously know everyone knows that album. And how could it be uh, Party All the Time? I know that. Never heard I'm Afraid of uh, Noriega, N-O-R-E. Doesn't mean it's not amazing, just never heard of it. And Brandy and Monica, uh, sorry, Jay, that, that one also passed me by on the road to good taste. So I'm not sure um, what to say about that, but I'm... I think just because, like you say, Party All the Time is still, you know, a big sort of party hit and a fan hit and a, something that's played a lot. Um, something to listen to while you're doing coke. Right. Um, yeah. And Heart Heart is obviously an album that, you know, Heart will always be popular. You also listen to while doing coke. Yes. Or <laughs> masturba masturbating vigorously while, while into doing a coke. cup. And crying. <laughs> No, sorry, whereas, I was going to say, whereas Brandy and Monica, The Boy Is Mine, is more the kind of song you listen to when you're masturbating into a cup in the corner of a burnt-out warehouse, sat on top of a pile of your own feces, while, wear, while wearing a T-shirt that just says Bob Dole for U.S. Senate, uh, or something. I don't know. Um, I'm going to go with July 1985 again. I apologize. Uh, Man, you I'm really sorry, dug Jay. for that one. I did. Yeah. Sorry. All right, Man Crush, we take this round. We get yet another point. What category do you want to go with? Mm, you want to go with television? Yeah, go ahead. All right, so July 2nd, 1985. This is it's a little bit different because you're not going to get any debuts in the summer of any year, really. So forget about that. But we did get the last episode for a classic series that ends after 11 seasons, which is totally bizarre because it's a non-syndicated first-run show that was releasing new episodes all the way into July of 1985. I mean, I guess they, they just did whatever the hell they wanted in the 80s. But sadly, CBS pulled the rug from underneath the series without giving it a proper exit. So the last episode that aired was called Red Robins, and it was just like another episode in the series. So after 11 seasons, 253 episodes... Lots of accolades and the best theme song ever. CBS severs ties with George and Wheezy, and they end the Jeffersons after an iconic 10 year stint. You know, everybody knows the song. I mean, that's the very first oh, yeah. thing 
the theme song, you know, we're moving on up, moving on up to the east side. But we're not getting any other claps. <laughs> but it, the show had some awesome tie-ins there. Like that song itself was done by uh, the one that played um, Miss Woods from Good Times, Janae Dubois. Yeah. it's Of course, it's a spinoff of All in the Family. You know, and they had some other monumental stuff, too. Um, Isabel Sanford, who plays Wheezy, she's the first black woman to win an Emmy and a lead actress for a comedy. They're the first ever transgender character on a sitcom, which was uh, George's army buddy, Eddie, who becomes Edie. Yep. Um, and then the really cool thing that ties it into the 90s, which I think was awesome. 11 years later, you get the series finale of The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and Who Buys the Banks House? George and Wheezy. Talk about moving on up. Yeah. yeah. And to top it all off, you want to talk about cultural significance. They just did a all in the family Jefferson's like, was that live? Yeah. They did it live. Like they do it on stage, but they just did it live on television. It was really yeah. cool. And that was in May. So they did the episode of all in the family where George is finally seen. And then they followed it up with uh, an episode of the Jeffersons. That's right, because yeah. he was never on All in the Family because uh, who they have Lionel, right? Yeah, you only yeah. see his brother, his brother, Lionel. right, right, uh, and you'll see you'll see uh, his wife. I but, think um, they did bring Sherman Hemsley, they, but he was no, on, they do, they yeah, do bring him in. Broad, He's in a, he was on Broadway at the time they started, but he was cast in the role. And right. they, yeah, no, right. he's he's in uh, several episodes, and some of the best episodes are really when him and Archie are just going head to head. In the first oh, episode, uh, yeah, Wheezy's brother, on screen brother, pretended to be George because he wanted to go to a baseball game. <laughs> nice. You know what's crazy too? Isabel Sanford and uh, Helmsley they were like twenty years apart, and they played husband and wife, but they almost looked yeah. the same age. They did. It was weird. He, man. he did not age that well but he only died a, like a couple of years back i think they got all the they got all those denny's ads too yeah it's husband and wife yeah. so yeah so they were around forever so what do you got mark all right well july 1st 1985 the world of cable television kind of changed for all of us ladies and gentlemen with the addition of the new a and e network which would go to a full-time 24 hour a day cable channel on its own starting in january nickelodeon was kind of left with nothing to put on for programming in their later hours, which A&E had previously occupied that time slot. So what did they do? They came up in the launch on July 1st of Nick at Night, which technically served as a separate television channel, even though it still occupied the same television station and location as Nickelodeon, but they counted it differently for the ratings because the programming, of course, was completely different. Now your favorite television station was now your parents' favorite television station at night. And I don't know about you guys, but it introduced me to a whole new world of sitcoms and got me liking retro content to begin with. I was just disappointed that Nick at Night didn't feature like cartoon pornography. That would have been... My favorite channel. That was Nick at Night After Dark. Right, right, right. <laughs> That's what I mean. Yeah. Nick, Nickelodeon After Dark, where, you know, Velma and, uh, you know, Daphne finally get it on scissor style. <laughs> July 1st, 1985, the launch at Nick at Night. And I think that's the beginning of where we all started loving retro content. I think that whole adventure that we're on now started there because that's the first place that I was introduced to retro content on my own other than stuff that, you know, I picked up from my parents. So Nick at night. 
So, dude, just quickly, give me like three different shows that Nick and I, I know of Nick and Knight, but obviously I wasn't around in America at that time. When you say retro content, what kind of shows were they showing? Like Leave It to Beaver was on there. Yeah, it changed over the years. Uh, it started off with like Leave It to Beaver, the Donna Reed show, Dennis the Menace, and then over the years it went to stuff even like Perfect Strangers. They got the Monkeys too. I think they were the ones that aired that. Dick Van Dyke. Yeah, Dick Van Dyke uh, was a Brady big bunch, one. On that. A lot of that. I mean, Leave It to Beaver and Dick Van Dyke. That's both porn, right? I'm right in that. <laughs> it, Actually, it, it is. It is. Yeah. It definitely is by now. Many yeah. times over. And nobody's gonna name I Love Lucy. Yeah, well, that, that too. That yeah, was I mean, on there too. Well, I, I love Lucy. I guess was kind of the backbone of Nick at yeah, Night. The but I mean, so so two funny things. First of all, me and my wife still watch I Love Lucy on Hulu on Sunday mornings, along with the Golden Girls. It's like a Sunday morning, get up in the morning, have breakfast, drink tea, and watch old sitcoms. Um, but also, it was really funny. The other day, we were rewatching Crocodile Dundee, um, and in it. He goes, oh, I saw a television once, and he turns on TV in the hotel. I Love Lucy comes on, and he goes, yep, that's what was on it. And turns it <laughs> it's like one of my favorite gags. Yeah, see, for me, I loved it because they also had SCTV on, which was something we talked about in a previous episode. So that was a great place to see that a popular Canadian show like that that really you couldn't get everywhere else. Love so. SCTV. Very cool. All right, cool. Thanks for filling me in on that. All right, guys. All right. Our turn. I guess that's my turn then. Well, um, you know, Nick at Night can't argue that it was awesome, but it's largely faded away. And, you know, you might hear about it a bit in a little, you know, nostalgia talks like we do here. But let's talk about something that's still relevant today from July of 1998 on television. And that was the heart of what you wanted to tune into every Monday Two wrestling shows locked in the heat of the Monday Night Wars. You had Monday Nitro on TNT, you had Raw on USA, and in 1998, uh, Monday Nitro started really strong, but by the time we got with a, you know, an unbroken winning streak that they've been riding for a while, but then by the time you got to July, the cracks started showing for Monday Nitro, and Nitro only won the ratings war one time in the month of July 98. It beat Raw um, July the 6th and then lost the rest of that month. But uh, the show for July 1998, the the pay-per-view they put on TV was Bash at the Beach 1998, which I purchased for about $35 uh, to watch Hollywood Hogan and Dennis Rodman with Brutus the fucking Barber Beefcake with them, uh, taking on Diamond Dallas Page and Carl Malone, the mailman, two uh, basketball players. And of course, Dennis Rodman still makes news today. And then you've got, um, you, you've still got documentaries on this Monday Night War, you know, being made today. Now you got to make a pick though, man. Which one's your pick? Is it the Monday Night Wars or the pay-per-view? Well, do I have to pick one show or the events for the month? I was I was going to talk more about the pay-per-view, I guess, but I was giving some context for the time of what was going mm-hmm. on. Uh, mm-hmm. Also on that pay-per-view was Goldberg, uh, Mr. Perfect, Kurt Henning, Bret Hart, Rey Mysterio, and Chris Jericho, Eddie Guerrero, and Raven. Uh, excellent, was excellent any, card. Was there anything 
particularly special about Bash at the Beach. Yeah, that, that stands out yeah, from that, other that Dennis Rodman and Carl Malone were the special wrestlers <laughs> guest stars. And it's they, effectively <laughs> where WCW jumped the shark. Is that where you're going? I mean, it's one of right. the many times. I mean, I, like yeah. I said, the cracks were showing. It's one of the many yeah. times that Eric Bischoff's yeah. money machine, you know, with Ted Turner, maybe was losing a bit of steam trying the same ideas. And another thing about this pay-per-view, it was uh, revisited by uh, Tony Schiavone and uh, podcaster Conrad Thompson, who lives about 45 minutes away from me, on their uh, What Happened When podcast uh, in just the last, I guess, the last three years or so. They did a watch-along with this episode, and they may have done another one with Eric Bischoff on their show, 83 Weeks. If you, if you haven't checked out those shows, definitely check them out. Yeah, definitely. Right, They're both good podcasts. Oh, yeah. Good shows. Conrad Thompson stuff's amazing. Good interview. I love Conrad Bain. <laughs> <laughs> He's a saint. The man's a saint. He is. All right, Mike, over to you. What do you got for this round, man? Oh, I'm so excited to tell you about this, Mark. Because, you know, fellas, in the 90s, it was certainly a rare condition in that day and age to read any good news on the newspaper page. And July 17th, 1998 was certainly no different because the last 80s sitcom ended its run. The inspirational Miller Boyette production, Family Matters, ended its, ended its nine-season run. The Perfect Strangers spinoff followed the lives of a blue-collar family known as the Winslows and their nerdy neighbor Steve Urkel. The show's popularity or Urkel's or Urkel's popularity led to not only a doll, but even a phenomenal dance that took the world by storm. The show had most of its run on ABC as part of their TGIF block before spending its final days on CBS. The show ran for 215 episodes. I believe it is actually the second longest African-American casted show, only second to the, the Jeffersons, which may just helped you win um but the show ran for 215 episodes proving one thing that there must have been some magic glue inside those gentle walls <laughs> such a disgusting line that you picked from that song listen man real love was bursting out of every seam i get it i get it it's, it's wow. cheaper than using a lot of kleenex i guess well after a few days it goes by didn't they get rid of a kid like all together yeah they just you like, leave Ju you leave judy alone <laughs> She had a great career in porn. <laughs> no, but they just like completely that she just vanished. It was like, where'd that kid go? It's just nobody she went up the stairs, about never came down. She asked for a raise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's basically it. It happened on Happy Days, too. That guy just dribbled a basketball off screen. And that was it. They should have just had her come out of the basement in, like the last episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Family Matters ended, ended its run in 1998. All right, let's go down to John Cross for the ruling on the television round. See, I got confused. I thought Family Matters was the continuing stories of Al from Die Hard. That's what I always thought it was every time I saw a picture of it. In my head, it is. I was like, It is. Yeah. It's what happens after he brings the Twinkies home. What happens next? His wife is pregnant in Die Hard. The guy's like, yeah, right. You're really eating all these Twinkies yourself. And he's like, ring it up. But his wife was pregnant because when you get go 10 years later... He's got all these goddamn kids. Um, so that's what I assume Family Matters is. Although I have to confess to having never seen an episode of Family Matters. But uh, or, or, but I am aware of it. I'm aware of it. Uh, Urkel is obviously a, a, a meme that pops up all the time. Uh, although for a long time, I thought Urkel was that little wizard thing in He-Man. 
Um, so <laughs> that's Orco, man. I know. I'm joking. That was a joke. I'm well aware of what Orco is. I used to have the little uh, uh, pulley uh, toy thing where Orco would spin around. Uh, anyway, um, the so Family Matters and Bash at the Beach. We're going for the pay per view event. Uh, that's what I because Jay. I have to say, uh, uh, it's funny. Wrestling comes up on this show every single week. There isn't a week where wrestling does not come up on this show. Uh, and it always makes me laugh that um, uh, uh, Man Crush and Mark have me as a judge because they know how little I know about wrestling. Uh, <laughs> but it comes up every week. But uh, we're going for the pay-per-view rather than the Monday Nitro versus Monday Raw thing. I, right? I don't know. Can I say whichever one helps me best? <laughs> <laughs> You could have at the beginning of your pick. Yeah, sure, man. You know, honestly, I don't think that either way would help you because I think that month was kind of like a dud month. If you would have gone a couple months later and April was huge. Summer, you, you know, su the summer months are kind of down times for wrestling anyway. Yeah. Except for summer. When was SummerSlam? SummerSlam mm -hmm. that month? I, I'll have to look it up. Um, Bash at the Beach, though, was usually pretty big for WCW. That's where they had... Uh, Let's see, SummerSlam. I just don't understand. They were wrestling basketball players? Yeah. Like, Dude, they so yeah. jumped the shark at this point. It was like they were just okay. doing weird shit. SummerSlam right. was August um, 30th. Yeah. Uh, and Monday Monday Night Raw didn't debut in July 98, right? That had been going for no, a while. No, it had been going no, since 95, yeah. yeah. Right, yeah. So, in fact, I think we – didn't we do the debut of Monday Night Raw? No, man. I episodes? wish we did, though. That would be a good one. We haven't got yeah, there yet, John. I feel like we discussed Monday Night Raw though. I'm that's sure. One of oh those no, we had uh, we discussed we had a wrestling episode. You weren't on it though. But anyhow, go ahead. No, but I feel like that's come up before because it's like one of the few things that I actually know about wrestling is Monday Night Raw because people always talk about it. Um, versus the Jeffersons ending and Nick Nick at Night debuting. Um, and I know, Jay, you said about like Nick at Night, uh, you know, people aren't, it's not relevant anymore. It's not a thing anymore. But doesn't it pave the way for uh, what's going on right now with the like the weird, it's a children's network during the day, but at night they have like weird um, uh, sketches. Oh, cartoon and Network that. and Adult Swim. Adult yeah. Swim, that's it. Doesn't it pave the way kind of for Adult Swim? I don't think so. Adult Swim. Adult Swim's been around a very long time as well, and also, and also, Nick at Night, like you say, introduces our generation to a slew of sitcoms that would then go on to inspire them to be, uh, you know, retro nerds and culture nerds and so on. No, I don't, I don't uh, see it that way at all. No, I, I think it was very no. insignificant. Whereas, whereas all the friends. <laughs> Noted. The thing you need to know, Jay, is that while I am uh, uh, not a wrestling person myself, I have tons of friends who are always posting about wrestling. Tons and tons and tons of friends. And I don't know that anyone has ever posted about Bash at the Beach. At least not that year. At least not that year. <laughs> um, I d See, what I wanted to do, Jay, was I wanted to give 98 something. But I just, I just don't feel like I can give. Hopefully, ninety eight will win on like hot products or something or news, because products are way better in ninety eight than they are in eighty five. Maybe we'll see. Um, but I've got to go for July nineteen eighty five again. Just the cultural significance of the Jeffersons um, and the cultural significance for our generation of Nick at Night, um, and the fact that while Family Matters also is culturally significant, uh, and while I'm sure Bash at the Beach was a spectacle. Um, I can't say that they necessarily beat 
uh, on a whole, uh, the Jeffersons and Nick at Night. So I've got to go July 1985 again, but please know that deep in my heart, I always want the 90s to kind of squeeze forward. They never do, but uh, <laughs> I do want it. I want the 90s to beat the 80s one of the days. But. All right, the Mama Luke's in 1985 strike again. We got a 3 nothing lead. Man Crush, what category do you want? You want to go news? That's what I was kind of thinking, man. We'll save hot products for the end. All right, let's do that. God, you lead this one off. All right, on April 23rd, 1985, the Coca-Cola Company launched a giant experiment. They decided they were going to revamp their most popular product, Coke, into something called New Coke. And then on July 11th, 1985, Coca-Cola said, yeah, our bad. We're going to go back to regular Coke. Because, as you know, in that 79-day period, all of America unified as one and told Coca-Cola, we ain't having it. They did not like new Coke. Everybody wanted the old formula back. I think it's the first and last time our country unified about one thing. Maybe that should happen again. It should. I think that's a fantastic idea. Let's go, Coke. Yeah. According to Coca-Cola, they said that the 79-day period revolutionized the soft drink industry, transformed the Coca-Cola company. It stands today as a testimony to the power of intelligent risks, even when they quite don't work as intended. Even though it was a complete disaster and a fail, still lives on today. If you haven't seen Stranger Things Season 3... New Coke is all through that series. And of course, now you can go on Coca-Cola's website and actually purchase New Coke. They've brought it back just for the tie-in with the TV show. I don't don't even think I ever had it back then. My parents never gave me soda too much. No, I was always a fan of Clear Pepsi or Crystal Pepsi. Love that. New Coke, I don't even remember. What did it taste? Did anybody have it on here? What was new about it? It uh, It was supposed to be more like Pepsi. It was like a little sweeter. <laughs> I don't really remember it, but there's a picture of like a bo- a two liter of it on my parents' like kitchen table. Nice. Uh, I wish we can call in somebody to get a, a taste test on it because I have no idea what it tasted like. I heard the same thing. Like some people said it was a little bit sweeter, but like what made it so bad? Do people yeah. do people love Coke that much? I I don't like soda, so I don't I can't talk. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Coke's a big deal. Yeah, yeah I, I guess I think so. it. <laughs> It was sweeter and then lacked some of that cola taste, which is what I like about cola. It does. Uh, Coke has like a bite to it. Yeah. It's the cocaine. Exactly. Yeah. It's got me, you know, licking my gums. <laughs> <laughs> so July 11th, 1985, Coca-Cola goes back on its word and reintroduces Coca-Cola Classic. All right. Good one. I totally forgot what you had. So is that a product or news? This is news. News. This is news. All right. All right. Uh, July 13th, 1985. You know, this one's super popular. It's kind of like what Mark said before. I'm not going to really insult your intelligence here. Uh, I already had Sport Aid a couple episodes back. Uh, so I have to go over something else that Bob Geldof did at his other major event. And that one would, of course, be Live Aid. Uh, there was the event that was broadcasted to 1.9 billion people worldwide still the uh, largest uh, satellite uplink hookup of ever you'll never see again because everything's done differently now but 
at the time that was 40% of the globe. So you figure the other 60% were probably just people that didn't have televisions. But really, there, there's. I'll just throw out some facts about this thing because everybody knows what fucking Live Aid was. Every if you were alive at this time, you definitely watched it. Like Mark, you were alive. Did you see Live Aid? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, like everybody if not watched the whole it. thing. Yeah, and then no, you saw you saw it was such a long event. You ended up seeing of it in like bits and portions. Yep. If you even if you didn't catch the whole event live. Every station broadcasted some clip or portion of it. Yeah, I mean, I I have vivid memories of sitting on the floor in the living room yeah. of our old house watching Live Aid. Like I just, yeah, I just have vivid memories of how it felt, what was going on. I didn't necessarily know any of the bands. You know, I was only like five years old at the time, but I I still have that memory. It was such a uniting, galvanizing thing. It was great. Yeah, they. You know what? They don't. Well. During 9-11, they did something like that, where they had uh, that benefit that was on all the channels. That's probably the last thing that I can remember that was as monumental as this was. But that probably wasn't monumental in every country like this was. That was probably just big in the United States. I don't think France the, the was only playing di- the benefit. The only disaster around Live Aid was that Phil Collins decided to play both the English and the New York version of it. <laughs> Instead yeah. of just Philly, being told to stay the fuck home, <laughs> Phil Collins performed both at Wembley Stadium and JFK, uh, traveling by helicopter, personally piloted by a UK, UK TV personality, Noel Edmonds, to London's Stansted Airport, then by Concord to New York. Uh, and he ended up playing not only his own set at both venues, but also played drums for Eric Clapton and then played with the reunite, reuniting members of Led Zeppelin. Yeah, which wow. is a terrible, terrible, terrible performance. And they blame Phil Collins for that. Of course, I'm talking about Led As Zeppelin. As you should, 100%. Oh, if you dude, could blame Phil Collins for something, Rob, blame Phil yeah, Collins Robert for Plant sounded like absolute <laughs> trash. And it's funny because after the whole thing was over, they wanted all the tapes of that shit. And it's actually yeah. hard sometimes on YouTube. You can find it now. But like I'd say like 10 years ago, this was something that was like tape traded because you didn't find it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we had it recorded forever on uh, um, old <sighs> Betamax because my dad still had Betamax for like yeah. up until the 90s. Um, but he, my mom had recorded the whole thing. Um, now, I don't know if this is an urban legend, if this is true or this is just Wikipedia, but apparently on his Concord flight, Phil Collins encountered actress and singer Cher, who was unaware of the concerts, apparently. <laughs> and upon reaching the U.S., she attended the Philadelphia concert and could be seen performing as part of the concert's We Are the World finale. So I don't know if she gets off the Concord, phones her agent, and then is like, get me to the concert, or whether that's just hokum and not really true. I'm so disappointed that story didn't end with, and he joined the Mile High Club with Cher. (laughs) (laughs) Can you imagine? Phil Collins and Cher going at it in a tiny bathroom. That's disgusting. The best rumor of this whole thing, Mark, you'll love this one. It was actually Frank Zappa. Yeah. Because they asked Frank Zappa if he wanted to do this event, and he declined. And the reason behind this, and this is all, I don't know if it's true or not, but he said it was the biggest cocaine money laundering event of all time. And that's why he wouldn't do it. So I don't know if he was trying to be funny or what, but. I no, I mean, that's that's something about Frank that most people don't know or believe. He was completely anti-drug. Occasionally, he'd drink, and he fucked a lot. And that's it. He was anti-drug, anti-drinking, anti-rock-and-roll lifestyle. So love is the drug for Frank Zappa? It was. And so was a vacuum cleaner. But that's another story. 
<laughs> That's a new thing. It's actually a new category on Pornhub, I saw. I ah. rese- it was during research. Oh, all right. It's show. always about the research, man. Anyhow, let's uh, let's move it on. We we took up too much time on our pick. So uh, July of 98, what do you guys got? Mr. Ranger, after you. You got this, man. Go for it. <laughs> all right. In 1998 was the year Roger Maris' home run record of 61 home runs in a season was broken in a tight race for the crown. For most of the season were three players, Sammy Sosa, Ken Griffey Jr., and Mark McGuire. McGuire would end up finishing first with 70 home runs. It was the most talked about race in sports and saved baseball after the 94 strike. Baseball fans usually only follow one team, but this season, everybody was tuning in. McGuire started July with 37 home runs, finishing the month with 45. Sosa went from 34 to 42. Griffey eventually fell out of the race. Sosa did end up breaking Maris's record, but finished uh, with only 66 to McGuire's 70. I know this isn't like an individual story, but anybody who was watching baseball that particular season, this was in the news every single day. And every time you tuned into ESPN, anytime you you were reading a paper, it was all about this race. No, absolutely. We talked so, about this before. Yeah. yeah, we've talked about it before. Baseball um, in 98. I mean, that's the pinnacle of baseball in the last 30 years. Yes. Yeah, for a lot of us, it was the first and last time we paid attention to baseball. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, it was it wasn't anybody who's watching remembers it. It was it was something to see. You don't really get that in baseball. Baseball's not usually that exciting. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you this though. I'm gonna I'm gonna be that guy. Uh, what's the news story though? <laughs> see, that's the problem with this particular story. It's not really an individual story. It's more of this is what was talked it's about. It's the midst of the race. Every single yeah, day. The, the chase. Yeah, it's it's the chase is the story. Okay, gotcha. I totally agree. Like, uh, I think it was September of 98. I was at a Pearl Jam concert, and it wasn't it wasn't his 70th home run, but it was the home run that broke Maris's record. And mm-hmm. Pearl Jam stops mid-song, and everyone's like, what the hell? And uh, Eddie Vedder... He's like, congratulations, Mark. Mark just broke the record, blah, blah, blah. And uh, Stone throws him like a little like Nerf ball, and he hits it into the crowd like a home run with a guitar. I still remember that to this day that I was That's there for awesome. that. So that transcended and went into music. So that, that is a big deal. It is huge. It's one of the few sporting events that people save newspapers from. To this day, I know people that I even might have one myself of the day Mark McGuire broke the record. But you know what's crazy about that? With 30, would, would you say he had 34 home runs for Sosa? Well, that's what's what's insane. It's like when you really think about it, going into the All-Star break, he's already got half the record. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what's crazy now is like Pete Alonso has 30 at this point. So you, that ball's juiced again. They're trying to get get people back. Hopefully. Well, it made it made baseball <laughs> exciting. I mean, say what you want about the steroid era. It was, it was fun to watch. <laughs> Much like the WWE that's trying to bring back the Attitude Era. MLB is also trying to bring back the steroid era. Very nice. Football's next. All right. This falls to me. Now, if you were looking for something to give to the 90s, John, I I don't even know what else you would pick for news than the fact that all month long, the headlines and the late night talk show material in July of 98 were all the same. And I can't think of many stories you can say that about, except maybe O.J. Simpson earlier in the decade, which you guys covered really well on a previous episode. But I've, I'm coming to this uh, point with Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky news 
all month long. And uh, checking out CNN.com for the month of July 98, it's just something every day, every uh, headline involves Clinton and Lewinsky. But what was probably most relevant uh, came, you know, at the end of the month when, you know, we all remember that Clinton was denying things for a while. He did not. Wait a minute. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. That's how it began, you know, at the beginning of the year. And then by this time, you're kind of getting to, well, it depends on how you define sex. Until you get to Thursday, July 30th, 1998, that Lewinsky turns over the stained dress for evidence testing. What's it stained with? The stained dress. They 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 tested the dress for, you know, for... For, for Clinton spooge, I guess. Yeah, scratch and sniff. <laughs> she was hanging out at the Family Matters house and rubbed on the wall. Well, you know, <laughs> speaking of Nick at Night, uh, the, the, the Tonight Show actually did a spoof of this with uh, an actress that looked like Lewinsky uh, going out to the Mary Tyler Moore show and singing. Delta Burke. Singing that stain oh. will come out after all. <laughs> so, I mean, come on, you, you got to get. And Clinton was looking forward to his testimony on July 31st. That's how he ended the month saying, I'm looking forward to my testimony. So, I mean, come on, you got Clinton will testify. You've got the stained dress, DNA, and he's leaving the month looking forward to that testimony. That story would go all the rest of the year, of course. Alrighty, solid man, and still never led to his impeachment because nobody cared at the end of the day. Because all he did was get a blowjob. How amazing was that? This guy gets a blowjob. We're ready to throw that off, bro. I was I was a kid, and I was going to just an extremely conservative, like Southern Baptist, Young Earth creationist type church. Who, um, you know, every week in the pulpit, he the the man was the devil. I didn't really understand what he had done because nobody wanted to talk to me about it. But, uh, um, yeah, now it's like really that's that's it. Yeah, as soon as you found out what he did, you're like, oh, shit, I would have done that, too. <laughs> well, Ironically, anyway. all those same people went on to vote for Trump, every one of them. Oh, I feel bad for them. All right, John Cross, what is your ruling on this round? Here it is, the ultimate fight, the question we've all wanted answered for decades and decades and decades. Who wins? Is it Live Aid or is it a semen-stained dress? What are we going to go with? Who wins the battle of news on this exciting episode of Dueling Decades? What do people care more about? Is it cum or is it Phil Collins playing two shows and flying on a Concord and meeting Cher? I don't know is the answer. I have to rack my brains. Uh, the other two stories, the, 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 uh, racing to, uh, uh, break Roger Maris's home run record. Am I correct in that? Yes, uh, yes, Mike, uh, yes, and new Coke slash uh, uh, classic Coke coming back. Um, you got to say that the, to some extent, the race for Roger Maris's home run record kind of beats the Coke story at the very least. But does Bill Clinton and the blowjob beat uh, uh, um, Live Aid? It's 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 a tough one. It's a tough Did one. One point um, nine billion people know about the cum stain, dude. Oh, they, you no, know, you know what I'm saying. The cum stain? <laughs> well, I you know, if, you like... if I could just put this out there, like maybe not right now, but in like twenty, thirty years, 
some kid's going to be sitting in some fucking junior high class and have to read about the president getting his dick sucked. Yeah. Which I can't wait for. That's, Which is that's fucking insane. awesome. Mike, yeah, that's, it just, is. that's just me. Oh, I'm sorry, Mike. Can you be more specific on that one? Yeah. Well, Which, uh, apparently. <laughs> there could be a few people you're talking about there. I'd like to take this opportunity to mention that one of the alternate names for our team was going to be looking for cigars in all the wrong places. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, go on then. I'm going to give it to July 98, just because I think the accumulative effect of both. Hold, wait, hold on. Hold on. You're talking about a cum-stained dress over yeah. this enormous humanitarian effort that basically yes. to stop famine but in I'll Africa. But I'll tell you why. Dude, I'll it brought it to the why. UN, though. Like, okay, aside- I, No, I got it. I got it. It I, went to the UN. It, it started Comic Relief on, on in England and then Comic Relief later in the US, both of which were still going today. Um, it brought the uh, uh, information about Ethiopia and South Africa to um, an international- platform uh however i will say two things in defense of my choice first uh, uh people are still starving in africa so it hasn't worked and second <laughs> and <laughs> it's second, it had to work a little bit and second double phil collins like that those two things almost immediately disqualify dude, you're gonna, really you're important. gonna you're gonna hold phil collins playing in two <laughs> dude actually how cool is that that the dude played in two different countries in the same day once in the morning you can and say once in the how afternoon. cool it is but you could also say how egomaniacal and how demanding he had he'd already put his big domed face on every Hold single on. one of his album covers i'm gonna throw and one now all right, if that's on... the worst thing i'm gonna throw this out because <laughs> this kidding, no dude, no because totally you're from england too i know you like queen a lot of people yeah. say that that six song set that they did there is the best the live greatest? performance I ever i know in rock and roll i know that radio gaga but, thing like when are you gonna ever see that ever again i mean you're talking if you're if you're gonna go that small with the Phil Collins thing, you got to go right. that big with oh, man. one of the best performances ever. That man over crush, you always dress. push me. You always push me to the edge, dude. You always push me <laughs> to the edge. You know I want to give it to Live Aid. You know that I'm just. I, well, I know it to you don't want to shut out. That's why you're doing it. Well, because first of all, I don't like anyone to go at home empty-handed, uh, and secondly. Um, you know, the Bill, the, the, the Bill Clinton, it's big. it is big. I'm not going to, I'm not taking anything to this. Me. Well, not only that, but like you look at Trump's, uh, uh, beating of Clinton and all the things that Trump has both been accused of and proved of having done and has openly admitted to doing. And we can't even get the guy a fucking parking ticket. Uh, it's, it, you know, it, at that Clinton thing still, you know, and the Lewinsky thing still comes up today. They've covered it on multiple different things, uh, you know, 2020 and 60 minutes and all that stuff is still, you know, it's, it, it comes up time and time and again, all the puns intended, uh, it coming up time and time again, you know, but then you add that to a quintessential, uh, battle in baseball that, that, you know, unified baseball fans again, after a rocky period in the game, you put those two things together. I just think, I'm, I'm, you know, uh, I'm giving it to July '98. Stop arguing with me. Next, <laughs> do hot products. 19, July 1985. End the show. Done. No. All right, off the hot products for the final round. This determines the match. Do you guys want to start off, or do you want to defer? I think we should defer. Defer. 
All right, man, crush. That's over to us. All right. Do you want to start this one off, or should I? Uh, yeah, I'll start it off. Why not? All right. So, July twenty sixth, nineteen eighty five. You know, hear me out here, because on the surface, oh god, <laughs> now, Mike, you'll you'll respect this one, I think, for real, because on the Let surface, me explain about uh, remote. Controls no, there's nothing about a remote control. <laughs> nothing about a remote control. Uh, on the surface, this hot product it doesn't seem like something that's monumental. But it actually was because, and this is why I got to preface it with this. So between 1983 and 1985, you had what was coined the Atari shock. You know, otherwise, no, it's a big video game crash, 1983. And just to show you how big it was, this is a $3 billion industry in 1983 that by 1985 has gone to $100 million. That's a loss of 90%, over 90% in revenue. All right, so it's safe to say at this point, the video game industry is shot. And it's not just because, well, it is because you had shitty games like E.T., but you had everybody and their mother releasing games for Atari that were just trash. And then you had people buying computers. They're moving away from these video game consoles and buying computers that can do games and do other things, you know, like your fucking Excel spreadsheets and shit. Without Excel, of course, because it wasn't out at the time. Anyhow, we're all aware of the Famicom was released in 1983. It, t- it started off slow, took another year or so for that to pick up. But Nintendo did one of the smartest things they could do in 1985 is because they repackaged the Famicom at CES and they released it with a product called ROB, Robotic Operating Buddy. So the thinking behind this was absolutely genius what they did. They, they put out this ROB, which is pretty much a piece of shit. But in 1985, nobody knew that. Instead of being a video game system now, they turned this into a toy. And NES developed, it was a toy. It was an actual toy instead of being a video game system, which nobody wanted to be a part of. So they put this Rob out. And if you look at any marketing from Nintendo in 1985, the primary focus of all their commercials was the Rob. The Rob was, if you don't know what it is, if I know, uh, what do you call it? Mike does, but John, it was a, it was a robot. I'm looking at one right there. Yeah, it's. (laughs) It was the quintessential piece that all the children wanted. So by the end of 1986, when they did research about what would make you buy a Nintendo, all the research came back that the children selected it because it had the robot. And if you look online, there's tons of people that will say this. This is the catalyst that moved Nintendo ahead. It took it from being a video game system to being a toy. They put it together in that... um, with the deluxe package. So you had a couple controllers, you had the Rob, the Zapper, Duck Hunt, and Gyromite. Yeah, I've, I've seen the Rob. I'm looking at it. I've seen it. Okay. I know so what it is. It really pushed it ahead. So if you if if you believe what everybody else is saying about the Rob, that it, it really catapulted the NES, then that means it catapulted the entire video game industry because it was shit. It was dead in the water at that point. And they brought it out of the like the depths with this ROB, which was a total, like, again, it was a total piece of shit, but every kid wanted it because it looked cool and it was a toy and it was, it came with a Nintendo. So that's uh, my hot product was the ROB, the robotic operating buddy that came with a Nintendo. Is is it the Rob that's coming out or the, this is the Rob. No, this is the Rob. Because I, th- I don't think the NES gets an American release until like October. Who said anything about American release? Did I say American release? 
We're, just, we're talking about the Japanese release? <laughs> this is the Japanese release. Of, of Rob the Robot. Ro- well, it's R-O-B. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm confused now. What's confusing about it? They put out the R-O-B. Well, it's just like there's there's so much more to the story on how the NES became the NES in America. So it's, I mean, I, I guess I get it, yeah. I mean, the Rob, the Rob is what sold the NES in America. Right, and that's the release date of the Rob, so that's my product. But but the Rob was also, like, virtually discontinued, like, a year and a half later. Yeah, it's that's fine, but the point of the story is, this is what pushed out the NES. It made it popular in North America. No, that's true. That That's true. All right. I, I don't understand or care. So, Mark, next. <laughs> All right, John. Well, if you love the cum stain dress, you are absolutely going to love my hut product because yes. this is something that sold in the millions and most of them were cum stained. Oh, excellent. <laughs> July 10th, 1985, we got the September issue of Playboy magazine, which for the very first time gave everybody nude photos of Madonna. There were photos that she had taken somewhere between the time of the late 70s, early 80s when she was in college. She posed for a few different photographers. Playboy then got a hold of these photos, as did Penthouse. They both published them and uh, out to the world. Madonna's first nude pics. Now, just prior, the year earlier, Vanessa Williams' nude photos had come up, and Playboy actually took a pass on that, saying at the time the photos were taken, Vanessa Williams probably didn't know what she was doing, but Madonna, on the other hand, repeatedly posed for different photographers in the nude, so Playboy got a hold of those photos, published them, and for the first time, we all got nude photos that we could take home into our bathrooms, our bedrooms. It was wonderful. So why was the September issue released in July? I cannot figure that out, but it's just something the magazine industry does. If you look at uh, the issue that came out in July for Penthouse, that was also the September issue. So it, I think it's just something how they date their issues. So. Normally it's like a month or two, but I've not heard of that many months before. No, it great. makes sense. I was in a Dollar General the other day and they had Halloween candy out. Yeah. <laughs> The, the funny thing is, is I'm probably the only person on the planet that even in 1985, if someone said, I have nude photographs of Madonna, I would say, yeah, no, that's a hard pass. But that's, I'm probably <laughs> the only person on the planet. Anyway, uh, great. All right. The Rob and nude Madonna. All right. On to July 1998. Jay, would you, would you like to go first? I, I'd like to, uh, I'd like to end on a high note. <laughs> All right. I got this. All right. So in our last entry, we had propelling video games forward, and then we had magazines with the uh, the other one. And I've got one that's going to get both of those in one shot, because I've got the Game Boy camera. Now, we all remember the Game Boy. Yeah, Game Boy from Nintendo. Everybody loved the Game Boy. You had your big gray brick, and you'd take it places. It was so popular. I'd had one for years. And Game Boy Camera dropped in, uh, it was actually the month of June 98. And then in July, the big news was in the N64 magazine about this hot product uh, beginning a monthly section dedicated to the device. Now, I got to say the Rob the Robot is a cool bit of nostalgia trivia, but not many people really remember him. And nude photos of a celebrity, we hear about that all the time. But the Game Boy camera made the Guinness World Records for being the world's smallest 
digital camera at the time. Now, obviously, this record has still been broken or has been broken. It had three options when it came out on the home screen, shoot, view and play, which were also the three options for Madonna's photo shoot. (laughs) And the legacy uh, for Bill Clinton's penis. (laughs) Um, The legacy of it just can't be overstated. The Game Boy camera was used to take photographs for the album cover of Neil Young's Silver and Gold. It featured in the Hong Kong zombie film BioZombie and uh, in the Banjo-Tooie game, um, a Game Boy camera takes pictures. um, But can I just clarify something, though? Your hot product, though is that, that a magazine starts to cover it in July of Well, they rolled out in June, and by July, it was the hot product. Yeah, it's got to come out in the month. Ah. Okay. Oh, but the, mag- the magazine but came out with this hot product and dedicating a feature to it in Nintendo Magazine. And then, so that was Nintendo Magazine of July 1998. And okay, they began right. a monthly section of it every month after that, I believe. Um, so yeah, the legacy of it, using it as a camera, it was a popular device for photography. And I got to say, it's really the forerunner to the cell phone camera and selfies. People were taking maybe some of the first selfies on Game Boy Camera. And how much have selfies changed our culture? Except the digital camera has been out since 1975, so there was quite a few uh, different versions that came out prior to that. But and the Game Boy camera was released in February, and then released again in England. In, in Japan, in it was June. February. I'm, yeah, Japan yeah. always got the yeah. Nintendo products first, kind of like Rob. Rob was out in Japan right. much earlier. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. All right, Mike. I can't wait to hear this, man. I've been waiting all day. What is your pick? For hot products. Well, you know, guys, John is always asking us, can you fuck it? (laughs) Well, here's a product that you actually can fuck. Because in July of 1998, the number one selling sex toy of all time received its patent. The Fleshlight. Oh, yes! With features like flesh-like material and offering discreet sperm collection... It's no wonder this flashlight-designed male masturbation tool has become a favorite amongst men across the world, now available in all shapes, colors, textures, anal, mouth, or the original vagina model. The flashlight, yes, you can fuck it. Now, Mike, let me ask you, that's the uh, the date that they patented it. When did it actually get released? Um, They started developing it the, the year Stop prior. Stop trying to sink the man crush. I want to give it to the... No, no, no. no, They started developing it the year prior. Went through several tests. Um, It was released in 1998, and the patent is listed as July. Other than that, there's not a whole lot of information on this particular product. So that's what I have to go on, that they got their patent July 98. But it had been... It was sold prior to that. There's no real record of it. That's what I have. Is there is there Sounds patent? dicey. But a patent's not nothing. Sounds dicey. That's well, like a it's big not deal. Nothing, but it's not a, like nobody's buying. Yeah, a but patent. if it was 1985, you'd be spewing some shit about <laughs> Apple filed a patent on something. <laughs> no, I've ne- I've never used a patent once. Needless to say, I'm not disappointed in that pick, Mike. You went balls deep on that one. <laughs> I did. I haven't even fucking pulled out yet. That's why I let him finish. I thought it was it was good to hear, but it's a patent. It's yeah. it's it's another big. Toss up, let's just say that, between uh, the Fleshlight and Nude Madonna, 
and a magazine covering a Game Boy camera, which I have to say, not that I'm a gamer, but I'm well aware of like gaming products. And I, you know, I had a Game Boy uh, uh, and I had the Sega equivalent, which was color. And I had the, I've had various different things from the Nintendo and uh, N64 and the Sega this and whatever. I've had gaming systems my whole life. I had legitimately never heard of the Game Boy camera. I had never heard of that, which is kind of odd to me because I'm, I kind of know most things, even if they float past my uh, uh, cultural whatever, I, I kind of, no, I'd never heard of them. So that's kind of fascinating to me. Have you ever heard of the Game Boy printer? Yeah, the print. Nope, never heard of the Game Boy printer either. <laughs> I've heard of uh, 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 Polaroid too. cameras, which sounds very similar. You can take a picture of yourself and then print it. Great. Yeah. <laughs> and the cord was like this yeah. long. Oh, great. Yeah, you didn't have to do that yeah. with a Polaroid camera because, see, the nature of the Polaroid is... You could take the picture and it printed it right. itself. And that was where you could originally take the original selfie, yeah. not the Game and Boy. And nude selfies if you wanted, if that was a thing. You know, if you wanted to take a picture nude and then take that if. photo down to your doctor and say, is this mole problematic? You could do that. And that was that was fine. Um, the flashlight, I mean, you know, for years and years and years and years and years, women had cornered the market in sex toys. They still do, to be fair. They have absolutely... Every single thing that either, you know, vibrates or, you know, retracts or extends or, you know, uh, spins around or, you know, is big, is small, it fits in clothing, doesn't fit in clothing, is made out of rubber, is made out of silicon, you know, they've got clamps, they've got everything. Men have gone, well, what can we do? All right, truckers carry flashlights in their cabs. All right, maybe if we have a flashlight, it looks like a flashlight. Truckers driving across the country can fuck it. That's really, that's really the extent. The man, I know that there's like the pocket pussy and various other things, but like the flashlight's really all we have. That and a, that and a, you know, bottle of Jergens and a, and some, uh, you know, the tissues or whatever. What else do we need? We don't need anything else because <laughs> yeah. we will like a, a filthy MacGyver build something and fuck it. It doesn't matter what it is. You know, two bits of bacon and a and a elastic band. We'll figure it out. We'll figure out a way to fuck it. That's really fucked up, man, because your dog's name is Bacon. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about the breakfast meat. Um, but how but hang on a second. If I give it to ninety eight, they they win the game, right? Yeah. Cause you you gave them last round. I just wish the Game Boy camera was more Oh, the, well, it's not the Game Boy camera. It's the, it's the Nintendo magazine ran a thing about the Game Boy camera. And I wish I knew more about the Rob, really. But you could argue that without the Rob, there would be no Game Boy, right? You could argue that. I mean, if the industry continued to go the way it was going, then it's possible you would have gotten something. You might not have gotten it from Nintendo. So, yeah, you might not have gotten it from Game Boy. But have they ever done the Game Boy Flashlight? That's what I want to know. Has that ever been a thing? I'm sure. I'm sure it's been done. Only, only in the back alleys uh, where you can pick them up off-brand in Japan. <laughs> you know. Why don't we Google that? And caveat: you could probably fuck the Rob if you wanted. I kind of want to give it to Mike and the flashlight. I hate to admit it, guys. I kind of want to give it to the flashlight. Oh my god! You got to be fucking. It would be. It would be me, good dude. to know when the first flashlight hit shelves. Because if it wasn't for like another two, three years, it was developed already in '95. I'm looking at an article on Vice right now. So, well, no, they made they had prototypes, I've only dug but that for like doesn't necessarily three mean three minutes. 
Like, does it land on super, like supermarket shelves? Does it land on uh, uh, store shelves sometime either in and around July 98? Like, do they get the pattern and then sex shop shelves start filling up with the things like the next week? Or Something tells me there weren't exactly great records of no. this. <laughs> oh, man, this is so fucked. This whole game has just been a bunch of like, well, take it or leave it, really. Either one. Um, well, you know what? Just ask yourself this. Look at their picks and ask. Can you fuck it? <laughs> you can fuck the Rob. You could fuck Madonna. You can't fuck the Rob. I got one sitting right there. That shit will chafe you up. All right, so you own a Rob. <laughs> Does anybody own a Game Boy camera or a flashlight? I, I own a flashlight. I, I I tried to buy one today. My wife was fucking furious. Okay, listen. They've got they've got to win. Jay just admitted publicly to owning a flashlight. So they have to win right there. Listen, I I like a happy bombshell. The beginning of the game looked like it was going to 85. I said it was going to go to 85. I was proved wrong by the flashlight. I got to give it to 98. (laughs) Congratulations. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I knew it. Oh, this is fucking great. John, your uh, your judgment is as magnificent as your beard. Thank you. I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. I knew that I could leave the in your, Listen, in your hands. Yeah, well, as long as I get your well, not your flashlight, but a flashlight. Listen, I like a good show. I like a show that has twists and turns and excites the audience and goes to the unexpected. I think the audience like it too, although I have absolutely no confirmation of that because they never respond to my comments in the group. <laughs> respond to my comments in the group, you bastards! I don't know if I'm popular or hated. I don't care either way. I'm going for ninety-eight. That's my final ruling. You can oh, piss and moan on your own time, man, Crush. Fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And on that note, we're going to end this episode right here. But, duelers, let us know what you think about this episode, please. Did John Cross get it right? Does the fleshlight prevail? Let us know, and you can do that by heading over to facebook.com forward slash dueling decades and join the group. Join our private group where you can continue the conversation online. And also, head over to DuelingDecades.com, where you can subscribe to the show and listen to it on CastBox, as well as on iTunes. So until next time, Duelers, we're going to bid you a peace, love, light, and a joy. Have a grateful week, everyone! Infirmary Media. During Owner Appreciation Month, well-qualified returning Grand Cherokee lessees get a low-mileage lease on select 2020 Grand Cherokee Laredo E4x4 models and dealer stock for $219 a month for 42 months with $3,799 to a signing tax title license extra. Call 1-888-925-JEEP for details. Requires due to contribution lease to Chrysler Capital. On oldest 20% inventory of 2020 Jeep Cherokee Laredo models as of 1-3-2020 and dealer stock. Current lease must end by 2-1-2021. Extra charge for miles over 35000 Residency restrictions apply. Take delivery by 2-3-2020. Jeep is a registered trademark.